once you understand what you're up against and the war that we're fighting right now against the left, we're in the age of technology where we know exactly where these voters are. The left has moved much more nimbly on this. That's really the core of the problem. We're just operating like this is still 1992. A good leader is going to embrace this concept and help, again, do the right thing, which is like subjugate the RNC, make sure that donor dollars are going to the right things that are gonna help us win, rather than the things that are traditional. All right, folks, this is it. The first in the nation primary is today. This is the Sean Spicer Show. We've got it covered from every angle. You know, uh, it's also National Pie Day, by the way. So I think I'm going to probably celebrate that as well. But as I said, it's the first in the nation primary. Here's the irony. It could be the last in the nation competitive primary. If Trump walks away with this thing tonight by a large margin, uh, which is what the, the latest tracking polls show him continuing to widen that lead as that DeSantis dropout endorsement factors in. And then obviously the Vivek and the Doug Burgum, all of those are starting to factor in. His lead continues to widen. Um, so there you go. It's pretty clear from the morning shows, the media is all in on Nikki Haley. They are hoping for a single digit loss by her because uh, they want this thing to go on. They want another month, which would be what it would be till South Carolina. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Nevada is square in between, and it's a weird system. We'll break it down at some point later, but there's a primary where no delegates are awarded, and then two days later, there's an actual caucus where the delegates are awarded. She's on the primary ballot, I think. Donald Trump's on the caucus ballot, so she, he's the only one that can get delegates awarded. I don't know why Nevada went third if this is not going to be an actual contest. It seems like a, no offense to the people out there, but I don't understand why we put that in the middle if if that's going to not really factor in. Um, there's so much to break down in the primary and what it means, and I'm going to get to that. Obviously, the other thing is I want to talk to you about the World Economic Forum in Davos. I want to talk to you about this border uh, ruling from the Supreme Court that says that the feds can cut the wire that the state of Texas has put up, and it was Republican nominees, Amy Coney Barrett and John Roberts, siding with the liberal justices to allow the feds to stop Texas from protecting our country. All those efforts that Greg Abbott has put together, unbelievable. But all of that I want to break down, and I've got a great guest today, Tyler Bauer. He's with Turning Point USA, but he's also Arizona's national committee man to the, na to the Republican National Committee, to the RNC. Uh, he is outspoken. He is active. He is somebody that you're going to win and hear from because, like I said, he 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 gets this all. Like he is an outspoken critic of the RNC, but yet he's a member of it. He grew up in the system, yet he's out there as a key leader at Turning Point USA with Charlie Kirk. We're going to break it down with him and talk a little bit about the system as well. Before I do that, I want to start on a somber note because we have a lot to get to. But um, two members of SEAL Team Three, as you might have heard uh, in in the media, have been presumed dead through some actions that they were taking, climbing aboard a ship that had illicit Iranian weapons, they believe, um, out there in the Arabian Sea. Nathan Gage Ingram um, was one of the SEALs. He apparently, according to reports, slipped and fell as he was boarding uh, a ladder onto the ship. Uh, and uh, this all took place on January 11th. But but here's the, the, the continuing sad part, but it's also to me... Um, I don't even know what the emotion is, but the, the other SEAL, Christopher Chambers, was on the same mission. And in 
the the ethos of the seals uh he followed an instinctive act of his training and went after his fellow seal his shipmate to rescue him and it's just it in this day and age with so much selfishness and getting on social media and promoting yourself to see one shipmate one teammate sacrifice himself to make sure that his fellow teammate was rescued or given aid and in the process giving up yourself you don't see it as much and why i think it's important is because we don't celebrate that we don't celebrate the life of these individuals enough these are true heroes we use that word so often hero 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 those two folks are heroes they went out there to sacrifice themselves so that we here and others out there in the world didn't suffer a fate an attack when I was working in the White House, I remember President Trump, we lost a SEAL, Ryan Owens. I'll never forget the guy's name. And uh, President Trump called his widow right away. He invited her to the State of the Union. He brought her as a guest to the State of the Union. I've got some amazing photos of that uh, that evening. But he made it a priority. And I went out as White House Press Secretary and paid homage to him and the sacrifice that he made. I'm hoping that there's just some reason that we haven't seen that from this White House and that it will be forthcoming. But it's unfortunate because these are the kind of people that we should be recognizing and putting on a pedestal who are selflessly sacrificing themselves for our freedom, for our way of life. And obviously both of them have family and friends that are mourning. Our thoughts and prayers go to them. But just keep them in your prayers today and their families because I don't think we recognize those who really do sacrifice enough these days. And so I hate to start on a somber note, but I think it's important to take time to recognize those people. All right, folks, if you're worried about your financial future and under the Biden economy, who isn't, uh, you should do what I did. I called Bishop Gold Group. You can go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, or you can give them a call. Actually, I did the call because I, I like to talk to someone. 844-984-1616. And I had a conversation with them about my financial needs, what I was looking for in terms of retirement. Uh, some people want to talk about rolling over an IRA. Some people want to keep precious metals. Some people want them to keep them. Some people want to know how you actually cash out precious metals. But I made them part of my investment strategy. I had a conversation with them. I talked about my financial, where I was and where I wanted to be. And we created a strategy. And these guys know what they're talking about. Integrity is part of their ethos there at Bishop Gold Group. So give them a call or go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. If you go to the website, you actually get a special promotion to start your journey toward uh, prosperity with precious metals. But I did it as well. I did exactly what I'm asking you to do. Go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean and find out how precious metals can be part of your future. And like I said, there's a lot of people out there talking about this. These are the folks that I trust. These are the people who I know, know what they're talking about and have your interest at heart. bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. One thing that I think is interesting to point out you hear the media talk, and I get why they do this. I mean, I, maybe you think this is petty or picky, but, but as someone who loves politics, it's important. They always say this came, this is on the Republican side, it's a two-person race, right? And I always dealt with this when, when the debates were coming around and when I was at the RNC and people would say, you know, why can't everybody get on the same stage? Well, I want to show you the sample ballot on the Republican side. We'll put it up on the screen. 
There are 24 people on the ballot on the Republican side. I mean, check that out. 24 people. Uh, I mean, obviously, you still have Donald Trump. He's right there. Doug Burgum. Chris Christie's still on the ballot. Nikki Haley. Um, anyway, Tim Scott. There, those are, but you've got a bunch of other people. Samuel Howard Sloan from Oakland, California. Good luck, Samuel. Scott Allen Keys. Allen Ayers, I'm sorry. That's probably good. You know, there goes his vote. Um, but anyway, I just, I point that out because it's interesting sometimes to forget that we focus and rightly, I get why we do it. We're not going to focus on somebody's folks, but then I want to flip you over to the democratic sample ballot, 21 candidates, Joe Biden's name's not on that, but you know who is, you know, who's on that ballot. That's right. Paper boy, love Prince right there. Paper boy, love Prince. Yeah. You didn't know he was running for president. Did you? All you paper boy, love Prince folks. Well, maybe some of you are saying, let me ask you, Sean, I can't see it all the way from there, but is Vermin Supreme on the ballot? Oh yeah, Vermin Supreme, he's on there. But don't worry, President Biden might not be on the ballot, but you know who is? President R. Bodie. Yeah, President R. Bodie. He, um, he's from Atlanta, Georgia. He's on the ballot, 21 of those candidates, but down at the bottom is where that write-in is gonna have to happen for President Biden if he has a chance because Dean Phillips, where is he? Sorry, paper boy, you're somewhere in here. This is where it gets, you know, again, with all these folks. Uh, he is in the P's, I'm sure, right there. Dean Phillips from Minnesota on the ballot. President Biden's got to hope that a lot of people go down to that very bottom line and write his name in and circle, fill in that circle. I say that just because keep in mind, someone comes up to you today and says, oh, it's a two-person race. Well, if you want to be a, a little nerdy, throw it in their face. Say, oh, no, no. There's actually 21 on the Democratic ballot, 24 on the Republican. But that's what's, it's interesting because sometimes understanding what's happening makes a difference. Every time that I was dealing with the debates, people would say, everyone should get on the stage. Really, everyone? I think we had something like 60 people in 2016 on the New Hampshire ballot. Who gets to decide what that, what that threshold is? I know. Those are the things that I think about, though. But there you go. Also, I, I, um, I did a live event. I'm doing another one tonight after the show. So if you want to chat, hear my feedback as, as returns start to come in, I'm thinking after this is go to YouTube, hit that notification and the subscribe button, the subscribe button first, Aha. then the notification button. We'll take your questions. We'll chat tonight after the show. So, uh, I probably change, get a little more relaxed, but let's, let's do that tonight as, as, uh, some of the results start to come in after seven o'clock and we'll talk about what's going on, what you think. But one of the interesting things after the Sunday night chat is a lot of people were texting me and saying, hey, Sean, uh, I really think uh, Byron Donalds would be a great VP or after DeSantis threw it in. I get it. A lot of people don't think so. But some people said, what about Ron DeSantis? I want to just get this out of the way quick. Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. Byron Donalds is a congressman from Florida. President Donald Trump is a voter in Florida. So why does that matter? Well, Article 2 of the Constitution states the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons, of whom one at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. That was further clarified by the 12th Amendment to the Constitution. Okay, I'm getting in the weeds, but this is why it's important, because this is, I'm going to get to why this matters in a second. The 12th Amendment, the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president of whom at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. Okay, why does that matter? It matters because 
yes, technically Donald Trump could pick Byron Donalds. He could pick Ron DeSantis. And I'm not arguing one way or another, but I want those people who support that to understand the way that it works now is that you would have to give the elect the 30 electoral votes, the 30 electoral votes for either president or vice president, because you can't have two people from the same state. Okay. Technically, yes, Donald Trump could go back and re-register to vote from New York. But do you think that's really going to happen? You think that Donald Trump's going to say, gosh, I really want someone on the ticket. So I, Donald Trump, will go re-register. Not going to happen, my friends. So technically, A, they could run, but they'd be sacrificing 30 electoral votes, meaning that you throw that, think about how close elections have been the last several, right? Nope, not going to happen. Or Donald Trump could technically move back to New York and re-register there. Considering that everything's going on there with Alvin Bragg and Letitia James, you really think that's a possibility? No way. Okay. So that's why I'm telling you that it's not that they're not great potentials. There's not pluses and minuses, but they're not going to get picked. If you think back to when Dick Cheney was chosen by George W. Bush, he had been the CEO of Halliburton. He was living and voting in Texas. He flew back, got a Wyoming driver's license where he had lived and represented Congress in the past, right? And then he re-registered to vote so that George Bush was in Texas and Dick Cheney was in Wyoming and there was no problem. Look, we saw what happened, how close elections can really get. We talked about this yesterday with Matt Mowers. I mean, think about Bush v. Gore. You really think that they're going to sacrifice 30 electoral votes? So again, it's not pro or con. I just want you to understand why it matters and why the system matters. Hey, are you a financial professional? Maybe you run a small business. Maybe you know the person who does, and you're looking to get more productivity out of your company. You're looking for ways to cut wasteful spending. You're looking for ways to have accountability. Well, I got a deal for you right now. Call my friends at Ramp, ramp ramp.com slash Spicer, and they will give you 250 bucks, $250 cash in your pocket if you can just sign up and get that information. The cool thing about Ramp is it combines corporate cards with a sense of accountability. You can figure out who your employees get paid to do, what expenses they do, limits. It's all sorts of great things. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every single employee with limits and restrictions, automate expense reporting so you stop wasting time and have accountability. It's a a fantastic thing. I talked to one of the folks that was on the show the other day. Their company uses Ramp and he was singing their praises. Ramp is easy to use to get started. You get issued physical corporate cards and they can start making payments in less than 15 minutes. Go now, as I said, you get 250 bucks just to sign up. Ramp.com slash Spicer. That's R-A-M-P, ramp.com slash Spicer. And a reminder, cards issued uh, by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members, FDIC, terms and conditions apply. All right, Uh, a lot to get to with our guest. Tyler Bauer, as I said, is one of the top folks in the Turning Point USA movement. They are registering voters. They are out in the States. They are creating a movement of young conservatives on campuses, the likes of which has never been seen before. And he has worked hand in glove with Charlie Kirk to make it happen. And then he ran for and won to be the national committee man from Arizona to the Republican National Committee. This guy gets it on both sides. So I want to sit back and have a great discussion about where we are, what the RNC is going to do, how it perceives Donald Trump, going into tonight and hopefully after tonight. All right, let's get into it with Tyler. All right, Tyler, I was thinking today, look, it's National Pie Day. 
It's the first of the nation primary and the Oscar nominations were revealed earlier today. We could talk about any of the three. Why don't we just go with politics in the primary? I think that might be the best place to start. What do you think? Hey, we, we've got lots to talk about today, so I'm, I'm game. All right. So the primary is, is obviously the big topic, but you're out there in Arizona. You're a border state. The Supreme Court yesterday rules with the help of Amy Coney Barrett and John Roberts that the feds, the Biden administration, can come in and cut the wire, the fencing that Texas has put up to protect itself. Obviously, this is a, a Governor Abbott issue, but it affects everybody, especially the border states. How is this going over in Arizona? You know, I think people are, this is pushing people to be more and more pro-Trump here in Arizona as we, you know, go back. If you, if you rewind back to 2015, Trump, his come out party was an anti-illegal immigration party that we actually hosted here in Arizona. That ended up being the first Trump rally. It was July of 2015. It was the dead heat of summer. It's 120 degrees outside. And we had 14,000 people wrapping around the building. No one had ever seen anything like it. Now we kind of just are used to it and seeing Trump rallies and things like that. But you have to understand the most important thing for Republican voters, but the Arizona voter is this, this safety issue with illegal immigration. And it has been the biggest impact on our state. Uh, people understand how much it costs the safety issues that happen. People are seeing these videos of people coming from all all across the world and they're all, you know, healthy young men that are jumping the border. And that is making moms in Scottsdale and Mesa and Glendale feel very, very uncomfortable. And so when you see the Biden administration come along and say that they're going to make border enforcement less uh, and that you have you know, Republicans who are joining the choir and aiding the Biden administration in this, I think that's just making people focus on this more, making it even more their number one issue. Yeah. I got to imagine uh, if you live in a border, I mean, obviously all these wusses in like blue states, these mayors who are like, oh my gosh, I got two buses. If you're in Arizona or Texas, you see it every day and it's not yep. It's not some amorphous, nebulous, hypothetical question. You see it. You feel the effects of it and the impact it has on your community, the safety, uh, the financial wherewithal that that it has on having to to educate and to take care of the health needs of, of these folks who come in. Do you think that like the Democrats in Arizona, who might not have fully appreciated it, let's say three years ago, are coming over more, or are they still making excuses? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because the Democrat Party here in Arizona is actually fairly radical. Um, in what and, way? Yeah, they're, they're really focused on a lot of the, uh, your normal, uh, really racial issues, divisive issues. I mean, the most radical stuff that you see in California is who represents the Democrat Party here in Arizona in the legislature. So just recently, they they dropped a bunch of bills and a guy who actually works here at Turning Point Action in our office, who's in the state legislature, his name is Austin Smith, uh, common sense conservative, rancher, ranching family. He he posted all of the bills that the Democrats were dropping and the, and the crazy stuff of, you know, their focus isn't, you know, on the average person. Their focus is on, you know, making it possible for, you know, kids to, to manipulate their gender without their parents' consent. You know, that, that kind of stuff is all happening across the state. And, and 
you know, normal people, normal Democrats even, I think are going, oh, you know, I'm just not, a, I'm not game for this. And I think what's going to happen out of that is one of two things. One is they're going to, they're going to be on the Trump train. They're going to be on the more conservative side here as we head into November. Uh, or they're just going to say, you know, what? I'm just not, I'm out of the Democrat party and I'm going to vote for someone like RFK. And actually in, in, in our case, that's helpful because a lot of people are just, we were realizing the polls, young people in particular are not fans of Joe Biden. Right. They actually like Joe Biden less than, uh, than they ever have before. They hate, they hate the idea of voting for him. They're less concerned about Trump than they are about Joe Biden. And so they'll find an alternative. And so you've got a Green Party candidate. You've got RFK on the ballot. I, th I think that's going to bleed uh, the Democrats really, really in, in a big way here in Arizona. So, so let's kind of pivot. I, I think that what's interesting about you, and I said this in the introduction, is that you you kind of been on both sides uh, in, in the sense that you've grown up uh, in the traditional party model. You've gotten more responsibility and taken more leadership. But then at the same time, you've been a, a leader in the turning point movement, bringing people, looking at different tactics, being extremely active on college campuses and not necessarily hewing to the to the old school, uh, you know, college Republicans. I mean, you guys fill a void that's not there, um, or excuse me, that is there in a very different and dynamic way. And so when you, well, let's take it back. Why did you, why did you want to run to represent Arizona at the RNC? Well, you know, there's a couple of different reasons and not many people know this whole history, but you know, you know, the inside of baseball, of the RNC and how things work. Uh, you know, not a whole ton gets done, at least not at, at, a, at a fast enough pace. And there's a lot of money that's spent um, that go to a lot of the what we call the consulting class uh, that that really doesn't go end up going towards winning elections. And when you're running an outside organization like what we do at Turning Point, uh, we're bringing in you know hundreds of thousands of people you know every year that are activists. This isn't just, you know, your average voter. We're talking about people who are actively getting involved in the community, thinking about running for office someday. And at Turning Point Action, our C4 side, we're focused on all of the challenges that we have, particularly in the swing states, Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, on what's not happening within the Republican Party in order to ensure that we win. And the more research you do, the more terrifying it becomes the left has built this entire infrastructure outside of the, the DNC that actually if, does the stuff that needs to happen for get out the vote, for voter identification, for uh, you know, what we need to do with ballot cleaning, uh, specifically voter roll cleaning, uh, for ballot chasing, for ballot curing, all these different things that you've heard or seen online. But our site effectively does none of it as a permanent infrastructure. And so, you know, when you start to get involved more and you start building those things on the outside, which we have very few organizations that do that and building the teams, you know, it's, it's hard to run an organization with hundreds of people that are employed by you. It's hard to run, you know, an organization that potentially has over a thousand people that will be out chasing ballots and curing ballots. Nobody wants to do that work. But when you start realizing that the RNC is at the epicenter of, of how, you know, some of this money spent, you have, you know, leaders who are going out saying, oh yeah, we're doing everything and nothing's, none of this is being done. 
you know, it becomes necessary to get involved and to, you know, kind of fix those problems. And if nobody does that, you'll continue to have this, this, this circle of people who are out selling donors on things that are never actually happening. And that's probably the most simple way that I can put it. No, no, uh, it's good. And, and, and that's the terrifying part, honestly, for me, is the De- Democrats have built all this. We have built almost none of it. And meanwhile, we have an establishment that's really telling everybody that everything's getting done. And, and quite frankly, none of it's getting done. All right. If you're a longtime watcher of the show, you know about my friend Leo Grillo. He is the founder of Delta Rescue, but it all started one day when he rescued a Doberman. The dog was malnourished. It hadn't gotten the, the help and the care that it needed. Once he rescued that dog, well, it became a lifelong mission for Leo. He created Delta Rescue, named for the dog, right? Dedication and everlasting love to animals. And that has blossomed into Delta Rescue, which is the largest no-kill sanctuary for all kinds of animals, dogs, cats, horses, you name it. If you go to deltarescue.org, you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about. Check out the videos. It shows you what Leo has created. It's a lifelong mission, and Leo's doing more than just the here and now. He's asking us through our contributions to keep funding it. That's how it completely survives, five, 10, 100, $1,000 that we can give to Delta Rescue. But he wants to make this a long-term enduring mission. Go check out their estate planning kit there. If you're an animal lover like I am, check it out, download the kit and see if you can make Delta Rescue part of your enduring lifelong mission, your legacy as well. He's doing some great work there. Go to deltarescue.org to check it out and check out that estate planning kit. And if you can, help keep the mission going right now through a contribution. So so let me kind of ask you to touch on two things that you brought up. Number one, just you, you mentioned that you work at the C4 side of things, right? For yeah. the audience that's listening, because there's Turning Point USA and then Turning Point Action, you're at Turning Point Action right now. Just one, can you explain the difference? And then secondly, I, 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 you really touched on something that's critical for people to understand. So the RNC is a federal committee. It can take X number of what we call hard dollars. And those are dollars that are limited uh, in, in a several ways by the Federal Election Commission in terms of how much you can contribute. You are maxed out yep. uh, at certain caps. And and you talk about how the Democrats have built this outside infrastructure, which is funded by what we would call soft money, unlimited amounts of money, especially the Soros organization and all this other stuff. So if you can, A, break down what the difference between what you guys do and, and what it means to be on the C4 side. But secondly, is it is it your argument that that the RNC should be doing more or that it should be telling outside groups, hey, you need, like voter registration is really expensive. It just costs a lot of money to go out and to do that, right? So is it your contention that we should follow the model of the left and that the RNC should be directing that? Is that I just want to make sure people understand how you, what, what you're saying is that they're, they're misleading people that they're doing it or is it they should be doing more to instruct it? Yeah, I mean, so what the Democrats have done effectively is they've subjugated the DNC. So the DNC understands. So the one role that the DNC plays that's really important on their side is they've opened up open access to the data and they've made it available and accessible to all their friends on their side. Our side hasn't done that. Our side makes it extraordinarily difficult to access even the most basic voter data. And that's really the role of the RNC. But to your point, the RNC, uh, 
you know, and and I call it the Republican apparatus because it's beyond the RNC. It's the NRSC. It's the NRCC. It's which are which just so people understand. That's the those are the, both the federal committees. One is the Senate version, and one is the House version, right? So the NRCC yeah. deals with House, and but just so everyone gets it. So I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, and and and, and really, you know, when you think of it, you know, the face of those are typically have been McConnell and previously McCarthy. People look at that and they and they don't realize that that's just one big monster that goes out and and they manage elections. And so part of that is recruiting candidates, which is really, really important. But the other side of that is just then managing, you know, the win. On, and, and that's the big point, like you had brought up, when you have hard dollars that you're limited by, and then, and then forget about the fact that people, leadership changes. So every two years, basically, the Republican Party has elections to change. So you effectively could have a new boss of the Republican Party you know, and it takes, you know, six to 12 months to set up shop. So basically you have turnover that's every 12 months. So every year you have turnover. Imagine trying to build a multi-billion dollar business where you have to replace all your employees effectively every 12 months or every 18 months. It just doesn't happen. It, it, there's no way it could ever happen. And so the Democrats have figured this out and, and, and they've realized that if you, as the DNC, tell people, tell donors, hey, you know, don't give us money if you want to get out the vote. If you want to go register voters, you want to go chase ballots, you want to ID voters, you want to clean voter roll, all those things. Give it to these outside groups. And those outside groups are permanent. So they're not changing every 12 and 18 months, right? That's really one of the most critical pieces. And then you brought up this second part that I kind of touched on, which is, you know, we, we got to have leaders that understand this and they can't go out telling people, oh, we're doing everything. Well, you can't do everything. You can't set up, everything and and manage this and and keep up with the left on how they've in, they've built all of this on the outside every 12 to 18 months you just can't do it and so that's part of the reason why right now i think a lot of donors have pulled back and the rnc is actually in one of the most difficult financial positions it's ever been in even worse than where it was in in 2015 heading into that election but you have now all these outside groups going okay this is our time where we got we got to build this and bring it together. And there's a lot of good groups. You know, Tea Party Patriots are out there. Uh, we work with Scott Pressler, who is is he's you know boot, bootstrapped together. You know, he's like the Johnny Appleseed of voter registration, which is <laughs> wonderful. You know, that, and that's a great thing, right? And you've got all these other groups too. You know, Mike Lindell's group, Cause of America, are doing things. Are focusing on things that the RNC's election integrity program I don't think is focused on, and that's great. But everybody's doing their own thing. And then you look at each of these states in Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia, and, and Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and there's, there's small groups building their own C4s that are focused on niche communities that we need to build in order to get out the vote. And that's good, and that's healthy. That's what the left has done. We're kind of organically building that with absolutely no help at all from the national Republican apparatus. Uh, but that's what's necessary in order to win if we ever want to compete with the left. And I actually have a theory that if you build that, then you're actually going to see a lot more money coming into the states to protect election integrity because it's the insurance policy that will help with that. So you, the RNC consists of 168 members, three from every state and territory, a national committee man, a national committee woman, and a chairman. You are the national committee man from Arizona. When you got there and, and even to this day, do you think that you have enough of a voice to affect yep. change that the system is inherently not like, in other words, you brought up the fact that the, that the chair turns over. 
Is it a chairman thing that it's just never going to work because the system's never going to allow it? Or do you think that you, as a, as one of the 168, could have a voice to make change? Or, I mean, again, I'm just trying to get a sense of, for people thinking to themselves, I want this to change. I understand what, what Tyler's saying. Is it possible or is the system itself broken? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. You know, I think there's a lot of systematically big problems that we have within the RNC and the Republican Party in general. But I mean, I would, there's some elements here that it's just like, we just need good leadership that understands and embraces what we're talking about here, which is once you understand what you're up against uh, and the war that we're fighting right now against the left, a good leader is going to embrace this concept and help, again, do the right thing, which is like subjugate the RNC make sure that donor dollars are going to the right things that are going to help us win rather than the things that are traditional. Back in the day when you didn't have voter data at your fingertips and you didn't know where a voter was and what they were doing on a day-to-day basis. Now, I mean, we're in the age of technology where we know exactly where these voters are. The left has moved much more nimbly on this. You know, that's really the core of the problem is that we're just operating like this is still 1992 and the fact of the matter is, is that the left has has moved much more, uh, much more quickly to things that are going to help. And so we just need leadership that's going to be able to get in, and and that's why it's so important for everyone to become a precinct committeeman. You know, we talk about the precinct project and the guys that do that over there here at Turning Point Action. We're constantly recruiting precinct committeemen and precinct captains all across the country, because that is who ultimately ends up picking the leadership at the county level. And then the state level. And that's who ends up representing you at the RNC in, in all the different functions and the different ways across the country. And, and that person matters because we need good people in to subjugate the RNC and say, hey, we need to right size this thing and say, we can't do everything. We're not going to be able to build thousands of full-time people. We haven't built the trust and credibility over the last few years in order to do that. And so we've got to really rely on partners that will do yeah. that. And we should be grateful for that, that we have those that exist out in the movement. So in your, in your, based on what you're saying, if, if you're someone that's watching right now and say, I don't like what's going on, that your advice to them is get involved right now in your local Republican party, become a precinct captain or leader, yep. and, and then slowly start to work up. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that's honestly what I, I I'm, a, I'm a nobody. I'm not a kid of a, you know, a politician or a donor or anything like that. I, I came back. Uh, from spending some time in Eastern Europe, realizing that I didn't want my country to look anything like that. And I was em- em- embraced by some really great, you know, seniors that were in my community that were like, you got to become a precinct committeeman. And then they were like, you got some really good ideas. You've got to become a leader in our community and become a, a district chair. And then a county chair. I was county chair of Maricopa County. And, you know, now I'm on the RNC because we have some bad people who want to get in these positions. And when bad people get in those positions, they waste a lot of money. They waste a lot of time. They don't respect the grassroots and we don't have a better party because of it. And I I, see, I love that because so many times people will say to me, Sean, I I don't like, and I go, great, you can get involved. And and the answer is, there was a, a great quote that I've always, you know, whenever someone says like, what is your favorite quote or whatever? Um, there was a former Marine Corps commandant, Krulak. 
And he said, in the absence of leadership, take charge. And it sounds like that's what you've done, right? I didn't like what I was going on. I got involved. And yes, sometimes it may not be easy and you may face adversity and people may not want you. But if you're going to make change, it starts by you getting involved. The, the, I tell people all the time, the party is us. The party is you. Yep. If you want to get involved, go do it. But you can't keep blaming everyone else because there's some numb nut that will become the precinct <laughs> chairman, that will become the county chairman. And if you don't like it, then do it. Or find somebody to do it. And I think that's exactly the point that you've done, which is not just complain. You've said, okay, I didn't like it. I'm going to do it. But I want to get back to, to voting because uh, you mentioned 1992. And it struck me. There's this tweet that America First Legal put out today uh, with another big win. Uh, that's Stephen Miller's organization. They, uh, they, their efforts, they filed a lawsuit against the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. It's called CISA. These were the, that was that guy, uh, Krebs, if you remember, who said, oh, it was the most secure election last time. Well, through, uh, Freedom of Information Act and a lot of the great work that America First Legal is doing, they found the documents from this government agency that shows that they truly did have concerns about mail-in ballots, but that they, censored any criticism and basically said, yes, we're concerned about the risks of mail-in ballots, but people who spread that, we're going to say that they're spreading disinformation. From an RNC standpoint, what's the balance between fighting the, the system and acknowledging that, okay, it's we got to jump on the wave. We got to ballot harvest. We got to bank your vote. I mean, I, where, where do you come down on that? Yeah. And we call it ballot chasing. And so part of what we're doing, our initiative, Chase the Vote, you can go to tpaction.com slash chase. Uh, and get involved specifically in Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, the most important states. But what again, what the left has done is they've, I, they've embraced uh, this concept of you know, getting more votes in or increasing turnout by precinct. And you know, there's certain, there are numerous ways that they manipulate elections. And many of those are associated with mail-in ballots. I personally dislike mail-in ballots. I wish we could go back right. to election day is, you know, a sacred 1992. day. <laughs> this is the, re you know, 1992, things were a lot simpler because you showed up, everybody knew who was there. You had a good idea. You showed up to a precinct polling place. They're getting rid of all this. They're, they're trying to cast, um, you know, as much fog in this, in this space as possible. And that's on purpose by the left because they've realized that if we can get more pieces of paper out there that are untraceable, untra untrackable, and get more of those papers in, then we win. And so it, it's just an equation. We've done literally thousands of hours of research, Sean, which, which show exactly what the Democrats have done. The reason why they like mail-in balloting so much and they want to expand the timeframes is because that gives them a better chance to get low propensity or what Rush called low information voters, right? Rush Limbaugh constantly called low information voters. Why are these people important? Because our minds are stuck in this time frame here of 1992, where it's me and you are thinking about what is the high propensity or likely voter that's an independent thing, right? What right. do they think? Because that in Arizona, traditionally, if you win over that person, you win the state. Well, no, it, times have changed. Technology is updated. The Democrats now know who the bad who who the bad voters are, the people who rarely vote, and they can cancel out that person's vote by just going to their door. And why is that important? Because these low information voters, they care less about their ballot, right? right? And so if it's a piece of paper sitting on their doorstep or on their counter and they don't care about it, it's easier to peer pressure them. It's easier to build a relationship with them. 
It's easier or just to, get- to collect it. You go, hey, there's 18 at this apartment building. Let's take them. Yeah, most places it's illegal to do that. And they, they, they do, honestly don't do too much of that, but they walk you to your mailbox, right? And they walk you to the right place. In California, you can do this, you know, to, to your, your right, heart's desire. But like, you know, but, the, but the, the, the important part is it's just a numbers game, right? And so we know what their numbers are. They put a full-time body to collect 10 ballots per day for the 30 days. That's the window, right? And so when you look at that and you go, there's a thousand people they hired for Mark Kelly's race. Well, that was 300,000 votes. Well, this is 1992 and that doesn't exist. We win pretty much everything in Arizona. And so it's, no, we win everything in Arizona. So this is what people have to understand is this is a piece of the manipulation game that they're playing, which is they're taking advantage of people who care about their ballots less. That's just as important in the election integrity front as everything else, because now we need people in the, in the community that are helping clean the voter rolls, that are IDing these people, yes. that are keeping an eye on houses that they're doing this at. It's so critical. I, I'm telling you, it's it to me the thing that blows my mind. So the thing that, by the way, just for to be clear, what America First Legal uncovered was that these guys knew it wasn't a health risk. They knew there was no reason to push mail-in ballots. They knew it. But to get to your point, they also knew that the Democrats could benefit from this. This was the they and they're doing it in front of yeah. our faces. It, yep. it kills me that this is happening. It's like what's going on at the southern border. We're watching the next wave of people to come in who are going to give DACA status, who are then going to be able to give them the right to vote. And everyone goes, oh, that's so cynical. I don't care if it's cynical. It's what's happening. And everybody's watching it happen in front of their face. I just, I, I wish more people would see this because mail-in ballots, you can vote absentee. We didn't have a problem. That was the biggest lie. They talk about the big lie. The big lie was that anybody could vote. And if you weren't going to be in town or you're going to be sick or you're on military leave, you could do it absentee in every state and territory. And they, they lied about this. Um, Tyler, I, I do, our, our time is getting kind of short, but I want to talk to you about tonight. New Hampshire is voting first in the nation primary. Nikki Haley, by all intents and purposes and all polls, is somewhere between, say, let's be generous, 15 points and 20 yeah. points down. I think if she loses by more than double digits, it's over. But I want to get back to your position at the RNC. We declared in 2015, after the Indiana primary, that Donald Trump was the presumptive nominee. Did he have the delegates? No. You need 1,250 in this cycle to become the, the nominee. But there's going to be pressure on you guys to declare him the presumptive nominee. Have you talked about it at all internally? I've seen nothing discussed about this. You know, I'm, I'm in the camp that the sooner you do that, the better it's gonna we're gonna fare in the election. It's been pretty well known for a while now, just in polling and everything else, that Donald Trump is effectively right. the presumptive nominee. And so, I'm really looking forward to the RNC meeting next week that we'll have in Las Vegas. Turning Point Action is actually doing a Restoring National Confidence Summit two days before this, and so we're bringing in a bunch of people. We're announcing today that you know Donald Trump Jr. will be there with us and and others, and so. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the RNC next week to have these discussions. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit um, cynical because we've had really relatively few strategic discussions since I've been on the RNC as it's been. So I'm not super um, bullish on the idea that we're probably going to have those. Those are going to start in Vegas. But I certainly am going to be pushing for us to have those conversations because we need to be far more strategic than we've been with the national Republican apparatus. And we need to be focused on Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia, 
I'm building uh, deep, deep uh, warfare there and, and, the, and drawing the battle lines now in, in the places that we need to win and fight to chase ballots, to identify people, to identify voters and gain support for Donald Trump, who's going to be our nominee. And, and so do you come down on the fact, and I got 30 seconds left, but if you're asked when you have this meeting in Vegas, this RNC meeting, are you going to say, guys, uh, even because at that point, we're only going to be two states in. Is that enough? Are you willing? I mean, I live in Virginia. We have to vote March 5th. There are yep. people that would say, well, if Nikki Haley wants to stay in or whatever, let's keep voting. But there's a lot of people who are going to say Donald Trump's made it clear it's his race to, to lose and the party benefits by consolidating and getting this general election kicked off against Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the push that I'm going to make. I mean, I, I okay. think I'm going to be one of the big voices that's going to be doing that. We have a few committees. We have a, a meeting specifically of all the members of the RNC, right? I hope that this is brought up. If not, we'll force it. Okay. okay. I mean, this is, but I mean, look, Nikki Haley's not even on the ballot for for the Nevada caucus. You I know. know. So it's like, how seriously can you take a candidate who's right. not even on a, one of the early primary state you know, caucus ballots. I, I right. just don't get it. I, I think at that point, and we'll, and we'll be in Vegas as it is. So it's like, I think that's a perfect segue to right. be like, hey, let's get serious and let's get, and let, let's make sure we win. Put some money on red, baby. Tyler, right. uh, thanks for what you're doing. I appreciate you joining us today. All right, thank you so much, Sean. We appreciate you so much and all you're doing. All right. Well, as a reminder, folks, we're going live tonight. We're going to break down the early results of the New Hampshire ballot. Uh, and whether or not this first in the nation primary is the last, go to YouTube, hit subscribe, hit that notification button. We'll talk to you tonight. I'll take your questions, whatever. I appreciate you tuning in as always. Another great discussion tomorrow. We'll break down the results here on the show. If you can't join us live, we'll see you back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.